Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Dave, okay, not only do we have a special guest in the podcast with today, yes, he also comes bearing us a gift of a brand new, s- smell that, a brand new uh, right off, the press, off the presses, off yep. the press magazine, and w- w- what's it say on the front? It says, Brilliant Labs Magazine. Brilliant Labs Magazine, and what a brilliant name for a magazine, <laughs> considering it was published from the brilliant people at Brilliant Labs. Now, what is Brilliant Labs, Dave? You're asking me? Well, I actually know, and I'm not going to tell you because we've got a guest here. <laughs> so, uh, but, I, I, here, but here's, here's, can I tell you a little <laughs> side story really quickly? I was just talking to our guest, and, um, and it, it's kind of neat because um, there's a small connection. Um, I was, as you, we've talked in previous podcasts, I went to the Accelerator program in Boston through the Boston Consulate. Anyways, I met this tech company doing these cool things. And as you typically do as an entrepreneur, you go, wow, that's, it's like this virtual robotics, right? And how they support kids and this idea that, um, that they, they need to help kids uh, with robotics and <clears throat> anyhow, on and on and on. I hear his pitch. I said, you gotta, I, I, there's someone in New Brunswick you gotta meet. His name's David Alston. So I did an email intro, and as I understand that uh, that Jeff got involved, and I kind of, you know, then I got, there's no reason to keep me in, involved, but that's how I started learning about Brilliant Labs. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So so there you go. So Jeff Wilson is our guest today, and uh, Jeff, welcome to The Bowling Point. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and um, Jeff, uh, I, I'm excited about Brilliant Labs, and we'll get into how Hemmings House is connected to it uh, later, but why don't you first kick off and let our listeners know what Brilliant Labs is and how it impacts uh, students, teachers, and schools in our community. And, and make sure you're close, close-ish, as Greg Clo- describes. Close-ish to the microphone. To the mic. There we go. <laughs> Sounds good. So Brilliant Labs is a not-for-profit organization. Uh, we work to support uh, teachers and students in the classroom to develop an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, try to inspire creativity, foster innovation, um, and also get them to learn to create with technology rather than just consume technology. So 90% of what we do is about uh, coding. So you might have heard about coding in the last uh, few years, many years. It's something that we used to learn in school 20 years ago. And then for some reason, we made a shift where we started using other people's software in uh, some of those courses in school. And rather than trying to learn how to create our own software. So we're trying to reintroduce coding in the curriculum. Uh, we've made lots of progress in the last four years. And uh, yeah, thanks to a little documentary that uh, you were a part of called Code Kids. And so out of Code Kids came, yeah, this uh, bunch of founders meetings. And through those founders meetings, it was decided that we were going to create this nonprofit called Brilliant Labs. And isn't that interesting? Like, and the other thing is I met Jeff because you invited David and I, who made, who were two people who made the film, to PEI to screen it. And that's I believe the first time we met, is that possible? Yeah, actually, I think we'd met once before that. Uh, you guys had invited me to St. John for uh, right. about an hour or two kind of 
thing that never made it to the documentary for many reasons. But uh, yeah, that's well, right. That's, we filmed you first. for the for the documentary, yeah. and you, you you ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. But yeah. The, the biggest <laughs> impact of the film came out. So just very quickly, Dave, with you the, you, the you the remember film. Code Kids? Yes, I do. And so Code Kids, wouldn't. just really quickly, because it totally uh, relates to what we're talking about here with Brilliant Labs. Um, a few years ago, David Alston, amongst other uh, tech leaders in the province, were just commenting on how difficult it was during the Radiant Six days to hire qualified uh, coders and programmers that were from here. Uh, a lot of times you had to bring them from away, you know. Um, and uh, the other th issue that they acknowledged was there's no girls. There's some limited women <coughs> in that space. So how do we do this? So. David and Rene Boudreau from the government uh, and some others were looking at the p place in the world where they do it the best, and that was Estonia and Finland. Mm. And we're like, why don't we go there with cameras, figure out how they do, how they do it, do it well there. Like, how, how are they inspiring kids in grade one, two, three, four, five, and six and beyond to get into technology and coding and whatnot? So we brought back just a little bit of film footage, and that started to snowball into a, a CBC documentary. And whenever that happens, a vortex of influence happens because when people know that our little story and our little community is going to be a national documentary, it's amazing to see how quickly things start to happen. Mm -hmm. And as a result of what we found in, in Estonia about how they do things, how they fund school programs, not coming directly out of the tax base. There's a whole bunch of different investing uh, stakeholders that want to make sure kids are learning coding. Uh, and it's integrated into every aspect of their education. Fast forward to today, X amount of years in, Jeff has been running Brilliant Labs, which was born out of some of the principles that we uh, we brought back from, from Estonia in the film Code Kids. So that's why it's really special to me. I, I see a little bit of my uh, uh, fingerprints. Er, early day fingerprints yeah. on this magazine and literally like uh, current day ones too as I put my hands all over it. Cool. And who's who is the magazine intended for? Is it for kids? For teachers for and students, yeah. Teachers so it's a celebration okay. of all the amazing things that teachers and students are doing around uh, the Maritimes and Atlantic Canada. Um, this particular issue was our first one. So we were still only operating in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. So it shows and demonstrates some stories from those provinces. And uh, the next the winter edition is uh, available digitally, but will be available in print in the next uh, month. And uh, yeah. What's the, like, I'm curious from your perspective, like what is the state, I mean, not even the, the province, but of the region as it relates to kids and technology? You, just before we started the interview, you were, you were describing an experience you had um, as a teacher on Prince Edward Island and just the, you, you kind of almost like it was a digital divide occurring. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd love to hear more about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, we've got a lot of high flying teachers and students uh, or youth uh, throughout the region that, you know, they are self-motivated, they are intrepid, they'll do their own research and it's their passion. So they'll just go forward with it. And those guys and girls don't really need a lot of our help. Um, but, uh, when you look at the majority of what's going on in schools, um, we're teaching kids how to use technology, not create with technology. So we really want to turn that upside down. Mm -hmm. And as uh, Greg alluded to, the problem for the economy in, well, I was going to say 10 years, but really it's happening now, is employers, uh, innovators, entrepreneurs that are creating startups are having a really hard time finding the talent to help program and develop their applications or their new technologies and the hardware. And so we're talking about a hundred well, they're guessing hundreds of thousands of unfilled jobs for coding in the next decade. Um, and we're already seeing a huge impact. Here? Across Canada. Across yeah, Canada, yeah, okay. exactly. And it's wow. even bigger in the States. 
Because think of it, you've got the big companies like GM that are working on autonomous vehicles. You've got the Googles and Microsofts and all these startups all competing for the same type of people. And those people, their talents are in such demand that they can pick and choose what they want, the salaries they want, and the work environments they want. So unless they directly fit the culture and believe in that project, they're not going to sign up. And so you're stuck trying to import from away um, and then trying to prevent the brain drain as well, right? So we're trying to develop an entrepreneurial spirit that's socially responsible with these kids, using code as that tool to allow them to create anything they want. One of the, like the title of our first magazine is like, it's kind of like a superpower, right? Because mm -hmm. it is really a 21st century superpower. If you learn to code, you can create mm -hmm. anything you want. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are hoping that, you know, some kids and teachers will gravitate around this concept, um, solve problems here at home, retain, you know, their families and stay here in the Maritimes line of Canada, and then also recruit maybe others from away to come here. Uh, I just, I was just thinking like, you know, something that I've learned um, is the value of, um, you know, being able to code and how that relates to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Can you just explain that a little more, like unpack that for us? Because I'm, you yeah, know, we, we, we believe there's a number of entrepreneurs listening to our podcast, but, but even just in terms of like, like when I learned that, I'll tell you, that was really helpful for me uh, in, in promoting to my kids, you know, come on, you know, because I, I, I never, I had never, I never really understood that concept, but that was, so not, so it's not just to get a job, but it actually helps kind of the development of the brain and, and, yeah. um, you know, maybe unpack that a bit. Yeah, so, so usually entrepreneurs and startup founders, you know, they're creating something new, they're answering a pain point or they're figuring out a problem and solving it that no one else has been able to. So they're always like leading, pushing the edge. And, uh, these days, a lot of it revolves around either mobile applications or web services or cybersecurity things or even products like uh, whether they're devices for medical um, applications or even entertainment devices, um, it's all built on code. And so a lot of these entrepreneurs, they have these wonderful ideas, but they don't, like they themselves don't have the coding chops or the skills to be able to actually make it themselves. So that's when they start having to recruit others to help them realize their vision. Um, and then when you get to the bottom of it, that talent pool is so small that a lot of these entrepreneurs and startups are still competing with the Irvings and the GMs for that same talent pool. It's, you know, what's so interesting is that that's exactly where I'm Same at thing for you for right now. For, 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 for our coaching, uh, we have a coaching software platform. Right. We're, we're able, we're leaning on some really strong talent, but, but, you know, we're, we're, um, almost have to be patient, right? Absolutely. Because, because, um, you know, this one particular code, I mean, brilliant and amazing and also in high, high demand, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm like, I, <laughs> I mean, that would be helpful. Little, little changes and iterations become really expensive. A, a, new, a new release and it, it, it is expensive. It's not even the expense, it's the time yeah. to get someone to just to focus on this. But to buy that time would be oh, So that's expensive. That's what becomes expensive. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think this is so good because when you think, like what I'm doing right now, Jeff, as an entrepreneur is, I am getting my my uh, hands dirty in learning the back end of, of WordPress and yeah. Dave and I on ClickFunnels yeah, you, you, and you, all these different. Th this IT guy, things. this guy should be he should be in the next Billy <laughs> Last Magazine. I, I'm serious. Like what I've been watching, observing, I'm like, wow, like Greg, it's <laughs> pretty cool. Well, but for me, it's the fact is Dave and I with the Boiling Point, we've got a, a product that we're releasing called the Boiling Point Process. Um, but we have no dollars to put towards this, which means we got to figure it out ourselves. It. Yeah. Now, thankfully, I grew up uh, with Ataris and Vic20s and everything else that actually gave me from an early age a, at least an understanding of if-then statements. And, you know, but having that base education allowed me not to be afraid of getting the back end of these things. Yeah. And you know, strictly for cost savings, in a lot of applications, it's tough to spend – 
fifteen, two thousand, five thousand dollars on a WordPress change, <laughs> you know, yeah, which absolutely. quickly can go there. Um, so I, I, I think what we're both saying is, as adults and as uh, later stage entrepreneurs, this this is critical stuff. Like we, yeah, especially when you're leveraging, uh, when you're talking about mobile development and uh, web uh, development, there's a lot of software that's being used in frameworks from other places, and so they introduce one update that can create breaking changes throughout your whole application. Mm -hmm. So yeah, then you've got to scramble and unless you've got somebody on board that's, you know, available 24 seven to fix that for you, then you've got downtime and that could really hurt an entrepreneur. Uh, well, you know, the other piece of, of this, this idea of, um, helping develop entrepreneurs, not only for, for applications that they want to, you know, integrate into their existing business, but even just the way of thinking through and problem solving. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is the other piece. Maybe like yeah, I'd like to hear more yeah, about that because that, sure. that was the other side where I thought, even if it's, it's, it's has nothing to do with technology, yeah. There's a process to learning how to effectively code, which which it really helps the entrepreneurial experience. Yeah, absolutely. And um, people in the education tech industry refer to it as computational thinking. So where um, it kind of blends in with critical thinking that we help kids try to develop at a very young age, the computational thinking is super important because... Um, Robots and uh, programs and software, um, they don't think with words, right? It's ones and zeros until quantum computing introduces qubits in the next couple of years. Um, so those ones and zeros, it's a binary language, machine language, that these you know embedded platforms from your fridge to your toaster to your car to your you know, mobile application work on. And so we've got to get these young people thinking computationally, step by step by step. Um, so then when they go through life really and they can look at a problem very analytically right. um, otherwise they just kind of take it for what it is walk away from it and then if anything ever happens they don't know what the different components are so they right. can't break it down and isolate where the bugs are or what right. the issues are um, but it helps them in writing and helps them in math right because when you develop those computational thinking skills that match with your critical thinking skills you start looking at the world in a very different way huh you that start looking is. at the parts behind the yeah, like the, like yeah versus just holistically yeah, yeah oh yeah. wow that so I, and that's uh, that's a new language to me computational thinking it's a, it's, <laughs> it sounds really intelligent too um, Jeff to obviously obviously uh, this comes with uh, challenges and people who are afraid of change and whatnot the interesting thing is, is uh, you know coding and technology and hands on learning was a normal nor a normal part of a lot of our education when we were younger and then it faded away but bringing it back in. I fully am uh, anticipating that there are challenges in getting teachers to buy in. Uh, and some teachers are like, oh, yet another thing I have to figure out. But this is different. So why don't you explain why this is different and why teachers and uh, education leaders should not be afraid of this approach? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, really all hands on deck. So everybody from parents and community members to the kids, to the teachers, to the admin at the school, to the school districts levels, to the uh, private sector and the Department of Ed, um, post-secondary, everybody's got to work together at this because it is so fundamentally crucial that we expose our, our youth to this. Um, so when we get in, uh, most of the pushback we get, as you mentioned, is this is just one more on my to-do list and teachers are already some of the most overworked uh, people in the world and so we've got a lot of classroom challenges already and so why and how 
can they actually do this? So some of the early adopters, it's uh, for them, it's very simple. They just integrate it in their daily curriculum. And that's exactly the position we're taking. We're not suggesting we create a whole entire new curriculum and this is an add-on um, or that it's only done in broad-based technology or middle school technology, BBT and MCD, they call it here in uh, New Brunswick or the grade 11 or grade 12 computer science course. We want the computational thinking and the coding piece to be integrated throughout curriculums, grades, kindergarten, all the way to grade 12. And it's that computational piece we were speaking about earlier that really hooks a lot of the teachers that were kind of like naysayers or mm. giving us a bit of pushback yeah. because they can see that thought process going into the computational thinking, um, that being able to be applied and transferred over to writing a sentence in English right. or doing a math problem. Right. Um, and so there's, and it's, I mean, the kids love it. So they're very interested um, I don't want to get too uh, pedagogical with you, but there's this guy, John Dewey, known for the Dewey Decimal System that yeah. we know from libraries. Yeah. But he's also uh, a pedagogue, a teacher. Um, and he came out with this thing in the 1800s saying that if we're not teaching kids in our classrooms what their interests are and what they're actually doing in real life, then we've lost them. That was in the 1800s. Wow. So none of this is new. So if they're at home going and playing games and going on their iPads or their devices and they're coming at school, right? We're wondering why they're not engaged. Like some of the tell me surveys results are showing that kids are drastically finding themselves disengaged with education as they go throughout the grades because we're not pulling on those passions. And a lot of them, it's the technology that they really resonate with and want to get, they get pulled towards. So I think for us, we've taken an approach. We're not reinventing the curriculum. We're not creating a new curriculum. What we're trying to do is support teachers in integrating coding, innovation, technology, and that entrepreneurial spirit with existing curriculum so in language arts well you've read a book okay that's great um, the curriculum won't tell you exactly which book to read that's usually up to the school and the teacher to decide but you can take that and you can either have the kid write a 13 page essay or they can create a virtual world so in that 13 page essay they've done the research they've written and written 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 that's great but if you let them create a virtual reality world around that book they read. They not only did that same research, but they also found the passion and engagement to figure out for themselves and, you know, go that extra mile. Because let's face it, coding, the early years uh, up until grade five or six, it's pretty simple. And there's very visual programs, drag and drop, right? Uh, but then when you get into the syntax-based stuff, um, there's a lot of challenges. And for them to want to overcome that hurdle, to learn that problem, that new syntax, um, for that virtual world, they need that engagement piece. And so if they follow that passion, they'll find that self-motivation to get to there. The other thing that's really interesting too is there could be a fear from a teacher listening to this right now saying, but still, I'm a teacher. I have to, now I have to figure out how to code to help the kids. But what we learned in Estonia and Finland is the teachers, most of them knew very little more than the students did because yep. they were teaching each other. Yep. And there were that what the teacher was able to do was coach and help solve problems, but not have to have the knowledge on how to do it. And the teachers were learning so much from these grade two students and three students. Yeah. Now, it, can you expand on that? How yeah, that exactly. works? Because that, yeah. that turns, and you're a teacher, yeah. you, you know, that turns yeah. teaching on its head because absolutely because philosophically the the teacher should have all the knowledge and is then and then is in yeah. um, transferring that knowledge. More so of a coach approach, really. That's yeah. how exactly. I would describe yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. like we call this, it facilitating. Yeah, yeah so facilitating, facilitating learning. Exactly. So uh, I'll get pedagogical on you again. Uh, so Paulo Freire was um, a Brazilian philosopher and teacher, and uh, he referred to it as the banking uh, model of education, where the teacher stands in front of the class, they deposit information in yeah. the students' brains, yeah. the students 
student's job is then to remember it. Who, who is that? Um, who is that? Paulo Freire. Okay. Uh, he lived many, many years ago in Brazil. Um, and so the student's job then is to hold on to that brief piece of information, lock it up so that maybe six years down the road, that 30 second exposure to that concept, it will be useful. And then they'll just magically pull it out and, you know, use it. Um, it doesn't work. And so instead, what he suggested and what many people have been doing, constructivism, there's lots of movements in math and other places and subject areas where this is happening, where students and teachers co-create understanding and meaning. So literally, it's like the teacher getting down on their knees and learning alongside with the student or modeling how to learn rather than what to learn. Because then the student can, you know, take those learning competencies and apply it to everything. And when a student creates their own understanding, their own meaning, they work for it. And so they're more likely to be able to apply it and to um, make um, connections with things that they already know. And so they're less likely to forget it and be able to apply it again in the future. So that's the model that we're trying to encourage is teachers, we get it. Um, technology is always changing every two weeks or something new and changes. We can't keep up with all of it. I mean, we've supported 100 uh, makerspaces uh, throughout New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And every week there's something new. So we can't even stay on top of it. So we learn alongside the students. And quite often the students will just literally just figure it out and we learn more from them than they do from us. So I think as an educator, your job should be to facilitate, you know, um, the journey through curriculum, but not spoon feed and do a paint by numbers type of approach to education. Yeah. And I, I could see the resistance to that only because of the, it's just such a different model for some people. I think it's fabulous because yeah. I think back to one of the things, the skills I learned in, in primary school and public, or <laughs> I guess even high school and stuff was how to look like I was listening and be somewhere else in my mind because I was so <laughs> bored with the content, you know? And I, it's not because I was smarter, I just wasn't yeah. engaged or, you know, maybe it's not my, like, my learning, uh, you know, I wasn't a strong um, kind of learning in that classroom setting. But this idea of facilitating learning is Absolutely. such a fascinating concept. And, and I, you know, I think of... Um, like, yeah, like, so we work in the corporate space and I was looking at some stats recently with some of our promotional material and they were saying, um, there's one stat that, that, uh, 58% of all, all knowledge is lost, uh, after like within an hour of someone leaving a workshop, right. like this is an adult. So think of the wasted time in yeah. some of these classrooms, if you're not facilitating mm -hmm. the learning and create, and it's almost like, wouldn't it be, you know, maybe to me, what you're describing is, and what's happening in Estonia clearly is, is just creating the environment yeah. to help people learn yeah. in a way that's um, unique and, to them. And an environment where they can fail safely as well. Yeah. Um, so for example, that, that's a big part of coding, uh, isn't it's it? It's big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I mean, we don't want them failing when they're responsible engineers on a mission to Mars with hundreds of people. We want them to fail safely in a classroom setting. Um, but yeah, and we've taken a very uh, project-based learning approach. So um, students learn by doing. Um, they find a theme or a concept that's of interest to them. They're solving a problem that touches the real world. And as they develop that project, technologies are introduced and they're more than happy to go that extra mile to figure out. Um, we had one very successful project a couple of years ago from a bunch of middle school um, girls from Bliss Carmen, where they did a um, the red dress. It's a kind of a fundraiser for the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and they do a big fashion show. And so there was a teacher there that had a background experience in fashion from the School of College and Design. And um, so she and these students were the first ever that weren't actual graduates of this uh, 
famous college to participate. But uh, so they not only had this beautiful dress, uh, but they had kind of doing done a lot of soldering of LEDs and sensors. And both the teachers helping um, were scratching their heads quite often and were thinking, oh, they're going to give up soon and we don't know how to help them. But the grade seven girls, they themselves are the ones coming home or coming back from, you know, researching at home the next day with like, hey, let's try this. Mm. And it would work. And mm. so the teachers as we mentioned, like we're learning alongside the students and mm-hmm. the students are really driving the project. And, and it was a, when that passion is there as well, you, you get that experience of a reverse classroom, if yeah. you will, where instead of going home to do the work, homework, yep. you're going home and fixing things, researching, doing all this, and then you're doing the experimentation and the work in, in class yeah. where, and, and sharing the learnings. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's really amazing. So how, what's the impact that you've seen? Now, you just mentioned... You've support hundreds of maker spaces. That's huge. What, what is that? Yeah, 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 yeah maker space. Um, I mean, and they all look very different. Uh, I like, in essence, the idea of a maker space. It probably started somewhere where Bob had a saw and Jimmy had a welding machine, and they came up together to work collaboratively on a new invention. Um, so we've taken that concept that's been around forever, um, and I've applied it in the public school setting. So sometimes it's in a classroom, sometimes it's in a library, sometimes in a repurposed chemistry lab, sometimes there's just an empty classroom. Uh, But it's basically like a gathering of tools. So you'd have like in one corner things for textiles, so embroidery machines, sewing machine, um, even things for knitting or crocheting. Um, And then you'd have a section for multimedia, so video game and uh, video production and podcasting equipment. You'd then have a section with robotics, some for um, electronic prototyping, uh, rapid prototyping with 3D printers. And so, and then like a common area where kids can communicate and collaborate and work together. So they could be cutting a piece of wood here and part of the team is working on the electronics components there. And then all of a sudden they meet in the center table and they put it all together and create something. Um, So the idea of a makerspace is just to provide the tools and resources for students to let their imagination just fly. Um, There's another um, gentleman, uh, Sir Ken Robinson, who does a big critique on education, how school kills creativity. So we're trying to reverse that model. Mm. And as you mentioned, like the traditional model of education, there's one answer, it's at the back of the book, but don't look, right? right? And don't communicate and collaborate with your fellow students because no. that's cheating. Yeah, Whereas keep, in the real world, yeah. that's exactly, <laughs> exactly the opposite. To exactly. Do. Get to the answer yeah. as quick as you can. It yeah. doesn't matter <laughs> now and collaborate. I, and I always felt yeah. it was like a test. Like, can I live through this, this experience? <laughs> you know what I mean? Without going crazy. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I thought I was the only one, but I learned later that oh, many people have this. No, experience. I I think you are the majority, Dave. Yeah, unfortunately. That. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, just to get back to Greg's question, like so, impact as far as numbers are concerned, they don't paint the whole picture, and they might sound impressive or they might not. Uh, but we yeah, we've worked um, with uh, about 100 schools to provide supports for developing makerspaces. We've also funded 800 project-based learning opportunities for students. Uh, we've reached probably close to 7,500 teachers for professional learning purposes, and we've reached over 50,000 youth. Um, so that's big in the sense that maybe sometimes it was like an eight week project that we supported. And sometimes it was just, uh, you know, they were walking by a fair and they tried VR and coding for an hour, right? So there's that wide gamut there in 50,000. But either way, every kid we've ever dealt with leaves there and we saw a light bulb go on 
and we could see them tugging at their parents or teachers' sleeves and saying, we want more, we want more. Um, so in a nutshell, stats-wise, that's what we can share with you. Uh, we started with one province, me running around with my head cut off, to then moving into two provinces. Now um, in February, we're going to be officially launching in PI Newfoundland, so all of Atlantic Canada will be on board. Wow. And so I think that in itself is speaks to the impact we're having. Um, we talked to school boards and school districts. They're changing the way professional learning is being delivered based on their experiences with us. So that's another way really? uh, teachers are treating their days and their students differently and integrating project-based learning and technology and coding like never before um, we've got uh, school districts talking to us about totally flipping the way even scheduling inside a school is done because you know the bell rings teaching stops learning ends when the bell rings well let's change those blocks so rather than have a 50 minute chunk and then putting everything away and going to something else let's create a one and a half hour uninterrupted block so you can work as a team and create a solution to a problem um so yeah we're, we've got um, departments of education looking at curriculum we've helped them develop new curricula um so where we're not there to invent and you know create new curricula, then we're more than happy to lend this vision and educational platform to um, any initiatives that the governments themselves have for developing their own curricula. That's, that's really incredible. It's uh, really, uh, really exciting to know that this is a, a New Brunswick initiative. Yeah. And so good that you are here to, to lead it, Jeff. Uh, to, to wrap it up, what's, uh, what's the next stage of development outside of you've already done some yeah, expansion I think, in new provinces yeah our biggest i think challenge coming in the future is just being able to scale so i think we've reached the majority of the early adopters in both nova scotia and new brunswick so of course we'll be dealing with those first in newfoundland labrador and pi but then we kind of are almost with uh, done with the early majority but when we get to that big large section of the majority um, some of those teachers that have been teaching from 20 year old sun faded laminate sheets and refuse to change so they're slowly starting to kind of come around um, so I think that'll be our biggest challenge is how do we get the majority to buy into what we're doing uh, because there are thousands of schools, tens of thousands of teachers and hundreds of thousands of kids and uh, we don't want to leave any stones unturned. So yeah, I think uh, we try to create a, a lot of opportunities for people to get engaged at different levels. Some the easy stuff, sometimes not because I mean, it's one thing to go say, okay, New Brunswick, go innovate. But what does that look like? What does that mean in the classroom? Yeah. So we try with the professional learning, we do with the project-based learning uh, funding, we do with the makerspace, but we also do innovation challenges. So every six weeks to a month or two, we try to team up with a private sector company and we launch a challenge. So Rogers just funded a telecommunications and coding challenge before Christmas. That's still happening now, where we're challenging kids and teachers to integrate um, coding in social studies or language arts, uh, where they learn to code devices that are going to communicate with each other uh, using microcontrollers hmm. so it's kind of and then we've got lots of resources and hand-holding um, but then sometimes they just want the stuff and they know what to do with it um, and again to Greg's point like we see kids you know teacher give them the elbow get out of the way I got this right let me add it so I don't know I've, we've got a lot of amazing things on the horizon we've got also a lot of challenges and we're just going to continue to try to blaze through it. How, well, I guess the other thing would be important for people to learn more or for those who want to learn more, which I, I assume a lot, 
Um, I'm guessing you guys are wanting to share uh, as widely and as broadly as you Absolutely. can. Absolutely. So how do people connect with you and how they learn more about Brilliant Labs? Yeah, I mean, the best place to go is probably our website, brilliantlab.ca. They can see what we're up to. Brilliantlabs. Um, Brilliantlabs. Yeah. Okay. That's the um, And yeah, like, I mean, we're looking for anybody to get involved, whether it's a private sector, a volunteer. I mean, if you're a senior and you know how to crochet, I guarantee you we can match you with a school where they want a project and they just don't mm. know where to start. If you're uh, into coding, then definitely um, robotics. Like, there's so many young entrepreneurs doing amazing things. We've got a couple of... Uh, kids out of uh, Riverview High School working on a voice-activated robot, and so we need some material design help um, with for them. So there's ways of getting engaged. We've got, actually I didn't mention this, but the entrepreneurial piece is important, and so is intellectual property. So we've helped uh, Beth Stevens and her family uh, receive a provisional patent for an invention that she created, and it's not code-related, but it's still tech and it's still entrepreneurial. Um, Ellen's Law, mm -hmm. that's made to make sure drivers give cyclists enough space. So she's mm -hmm. created a device and earned a provisional patent uh, this summer um, and now she's working on getting it to market and she's only in grade eight Wow, I believe nice. yeah cool. um, and her name is Beth Stevens she's an amazing uh, girl and yeah so this thing clips on to the back fork of your bicycle and projects a one meter uh, light around your bike and smart. you can in the that. future add filters so you if you want what? a rainbow I, I or a unicorn or a red light uh, yeah. Would, yeah. yeah runners could use that I could put it in yeah, the back of definitely. my that's really good for low, low light situations yeah exactly oh my yeah. gosh that's yeah. amazing yeah. see yeah. that is inspiring stuff you know totally. and, and just seeing the the impacts of what you're doing, Jeff, if, if you've connect with that many kids who are inspired now, have the tools, yeah. like it's just- And they know it's possible. So it's not yeah. just a matter of having a dream, uh, I can't do it or not right now. It's okay, I've got an idea. And now, hey, I, there's an opportunity for me to actually make this happen. That is so good. Yeah. And uh, I think I'll just let the audience know as well, if you want to see the film, yeah. you can only see it in Canada, unfortunately, at this point, unless you send me an email straight up, uh, greg at hummingshouse.com. But you can, fi you can find it on fya.tv, uh, fya.tv. You'll find Code Kids on there. You can also find it on the CBC online uh, site. And it's worth watching because it's really cool to see the genesis of of a lot of what Jeff's talking about here, uh, you know, coming out of that trip. So it's, uh, yeah, really good. Dave, anything for you for, clo for closing? Uh? Um, well, I'm just, I'm really, you know what, for me, I guess what's interesting is, is that trip to Estonia, unfortunately, I couldn't make it. Uh, there, there was a trip that I couldn't make, so I didn't actually have to, and I was invited, and I, I just had to cancel last minute. I'm really disappointed because it sounds to me like that was really inspiring for a lot of folks to actually see it in action. Oh, big time. I mean, you know, and, and, we, and, we got to see it in action. And, and so, like, because like, when we're talking about it, it seems like a little bit of, like, utopia. Right. But, but it actually <laughs> when, exists. When you see kids and little boys and girls equally on the ground programming these, these robotic Legos and stuff, and you see the teachers just kind of standing back and, you know, helping where they can, it is truly magical. Huh. So, Dave... Um, this is it for now because I hear next week's guests in the uh, in the foyer. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much. Thanks, man. man. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for inspiring <laughs> so many so many young people, brother. Yeah, keep doing it up. We'll do. Okay, and we'll uh, we'll we'll see you next week. Wink, wink. Keep that pot boiling. <laughs> Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com 
and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and remember, keep that pot boiling. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.